Hello and welcome to the Volunteering Podcast, presented to you by Kira Richards and Michaela Vickers. On today's episode, we will be discussing the different types of volunteering and the importance behind it with our team of reporters. Michaela interviewed a key member of the charity Food Cycle. Tell us about what you found. Yes, so my main focus was volunteering during the pandemic. COVID-19 has impacted volunteer organisations as food banks are running low and many services have been closed. I reached out to Carly Schutz, Head of Communications of Food Cycle, on why volunteering is so important, especially during a time like this. In any normal circumstances, volunteers are enormously important to us. We uh, say that they're the lifeblood of what we do. Um, Without them, we wouldn't be able to run our services. But even more so right now uh, with the current pandemic, it's been even more important that we've had kind of our long-standing volunteers. We just couldn't do what we do without volunteers. Are more people volunteering now than before COVID-19? So we've had to adapt what we do as a charity so we've had to change our volunteer roles slightly and we have over 15,000 volunteers registered with us Uh, we had over 5,900 of those sign up just last year alone uh, which I think shows how many people are interested in supporting us but we do have a large number of people that are unable to volunteer with us at the moment because they are in a more vulnerable category Um, it's a really mixed kind of picture because um Obviously, we've got a lot of people that are volunteering with us because they were furloughed. So when those people go back to work, they won't may not be able to volunteer with us anymore. So but that's what's great about Food Cycle is actually we're really flexible when it comes to volunteering opportunity. And how has your services adapted during COVID? Have you changed uh, the way that you deliver food or how has it worked? When lockdown was announced um, last year, we quickly adapted to delivery service because really that was the only option that we had because our volunteers weren't able to get in the kitchens to cook. Um, And also some of the people that we support don't have facilities to cook food themselves. So what we are now offering in the majority of our venues is uh, we call it cook and collect service. So we cook up a nutritious meal. So it gives them an opportunity to actually get out the house as well which is a really nice part of their routine and we also as part of the pandemic we launched um, a telephone service as well which we call check-in and chat so we'd obviously lost that social interaction by not being able to bring people together in the same room um, so the weekly phone calls were just a check-in and just to see how their week had been um, and then at the moment we are doing everything we can behind the scenes so that as soon as we possibly can we'll be bringing people back together and to sit down and share community meals when that will happen or what it will look like we don't quite know yet but that is the aim and Currently, we had to shut some of our locations because because we work out of um, churches and community centres. Some of them have closed, so we've been unable to get in and use the kitchen. So we're currently in 26 venues at the moment, and we're actually hoping to be in around 50 by the end of this year, which just shows the huge need for our services. So we've got a very busy year ahead of us. I think this gave us a good insight into how organisations have worked over the past year during the pandemic. It's great to hear that so many people have taken it upon themselves to get involved and help out where they can. Diana, didn't you interview someone who's been volunteering even before the pandemic? Yes, for my interview, I talked with Sabina Lala, an Albanian who volunteered in a secondary school in East London before COVID-19. Um, She helped students who didn't know any English with learning the alphabet and learning how to write. She shared with me some of her favourite experiences with volunteering and also answered, why does volunteering matter? I think it matters because in a way it helps you expand your 
your like social connections and I think in a way it makes you feel better about yourself because when you're helping someone it feels like you've accomplished something and I think that's really important and it I think it also um, helps improve um, employment prospects because in a way you're you're having some sort of experience let's say um, work related so yeah what is it about volunteering that made you want to do it okay so when I first came to the UK I couldn't speak any English and I attended this course um, in which there were volunteers that were helping people like we're basically learning them we're teaching them English and um, I appreciated them doing that for me so when I started volunteering myself, I did something similar to that and it made me feel good. It made me feel good that I was helping others. So like, that's why I did it. And can you tell me about an aspect of a volunteer experience that you've really enjoyed and a part that you wish had been different? What I most enjoyed during my volunteering experience was um, I was volunteering at this school and we had like to teach um, students that didn't speak English at all. And I had this boy and he couldn't speak. He didn't even know the ABCs. And I was trying to teach him that. And that was probably the, probably the best I've been through. And I wouldn't change anything, anything about what I've done. I liked it the way it was. And do you think volunteering is replacing paid work? I've been seeing lots of these questions um, on my LinkedIn account. And if you see it from um, social class differences, um, let's say lower class people, they believe this because they don't have the time to like work and do volunteering as well because in a way they need to earn money. Whereas um, higher class people, they tend to like have the money. So like they will have the time to do volunteering. It depends which way you see it. But I don't think volunteering is replacing work experience. Still to come, Nicole shares with us what volunteer organisation she spoke to. I have always wondered what happens to the disabled people who live in the UK and want to volunteer or need assistance, but speak no English or hardly any at all. Do you know there are 4.1 million people with disabilities in the UK? I found an organisation called the Latin American Disabled People's Project, which is the only charity in London devoted to serving disabled people whose first language is Spanish and Portuguese. I talked to Monica Rowley, who is the coordinator of volunteers and mental well-being in this project about volunteers. So how have volunteers contributed to the lives of disabled Hispanics and Portuguese speakers in London? It's a huge contribution for the whole community, especially because there's a lot of, um, as the name say, disabled people project. There's a lot of volunteers. There's not only physical disabled, it's also mentally. When we become volunteers, we feel part of the community. We feel we can make a change. We feel we can do something. At the moment, we have 72 volunteers. We have different projects 
and all the projects has different volunteers, different tasks for each one of them. In the website, it says that one of the tasks for volunteers is an activity called befriending. So how have volunteers contributed to this activity? Befriending is a project inside the mental health well-being project which we pair people we have uh, people who come saying I need help I'm by myself I need somebody to talk to so we take all the information we need and there are some people who want to be volunteers for this specific um, project and we pair them we like they like to paint we pair with somebody who likes to paint and talk if there are people who like to walk we pair with a person who likes to walk too so there's some kind of communication without without words interpreting is another activity in your charity why is one of the most chosen activities by volunteers. In our community, it's very important because um, not everybody can have easily learning the, the English language. The English language is very difficult for even for me. Um, so we need somebody who helps us, like to, 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 to go to the surgery, to, to the GP, to help us understand. And we est- establish an conversation so we can save our problems to understand the doctor better our problems and this way the medication will be correct for us it's not just the gp could be for the doctors the hospitals or even the government establishments who need uh interpreting and do you think that without volunteers your charity will be in the same status or state it is today no, they are the heart of the community and the heart of this organisation. As we've heard, volunteering has helped people from all backgrounds and situations. However, there are downsides to a mostly positive industry. I spoke to New York-based writer and activist Pippa Biddle to discuss if volunteerism trips to developing countries can ever be done in an ethical way. I do not think it's possible to buy a trip and do it in an ethical way. I do think it is possible to travel somewhere and ethically contribute to the community that you're going to. But the way in which we define contribute needs to change. By buying a package trip through a volunteerism company, whether it's uh, like every single day is planned out for you, or they're just matching you up with a nonprofit and sort of setting you off on your own, you're buying into a business model that by its nature um, is incentivized to provide the purchaser with an experience regardless of what's needed on the ground. Do you think that voluntourists dehumanize the people that they're working with? I don't think voluntourists mean to dehumanize the people they're working with. Among the vast majority of participants, the intentions are really almost entirely good. The reason that people give back is to feel good about themselves. That is an inherently selfish act. There's no such thing as pure altruism. But I think very, very, very few people go into volunteer settings with the intention of doing harm or dehumanizing others. The way in which voluntourism happens and plays out on the ground is dehumanizing as an activity. Um, A term that I like to use is zooification because it really turns communities into exhibits at a zoo where you can engage with locals as if they were 
lions behind bars and then walk away at the end of the day with your souvenirs feeling good about yourself and not think twice about what happens to them and and the long-term ramifications for their lives of your short-term engagement. So what would you say are some of these long-term impacts? Um, We see the development of attachment disorders. Children need reliable caregivers who are members of their community, who are strong role models, and who will be there for them over the long term. And yet... (laughs) We're handing them like hot potatoes to these people who come in for just a few days and we tell the volunteers that they are providing love, that they are providing everything this kid needs. That is a profoundly damaging process. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast. Tune in next week where we will be discussing how animal shelters have survived during the pandemic. Serving communion, our help and our reception, you're a volunteer.